Welcome to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast, featuring sermons given at our church and community center located in the Lincoln Estates neighborhood in Gainesville, Florida. If you find these messages beneficial, if you're part of our community, or if you want to help support the services we're providing to Southeast Gainesville, you can text the word GIVE to 352-562-7771 to make tax-deductible donations. Here's this week's message. Um, I'm going to move into the teaching for today. We're in Jeremiah, looking at chapter 7 through 10 today. Uh, but for those of you who have asked uh, to read ahead, uh, what we're going to look at next Sunday is Jeremiah 11 through 20. I know that's a bigger chunk, uh, and I promise not to preach for three hours, um, but it's a large book. we got to get through it. And we're going to look at chapter 7 through 10 today. And again, we're not going to read all of it in full, although I am going to read several passages to you as we go through this. Um, And there are basically five things that I want to point out to you today in chapter 7 through chapter 10 in Jeremiah. Um, There's way more than we can cover uh, in in this time together, unless I was going to preach for three hours, which I promise you I'm not. Um, But these are the things that stood out to me as, as relevant for us in what we find in these chapters in the book of Jeremiah. And the first thing is a, is a bit of a repeat from what we saw last week when we read chapters 4 through 6 uh, about the leaders who were lying, specifically the prophets and the priests. They were lying. Um, Jeremiah repeats almost verbatim in chapters 7 through 10 some of the things that he said, especially in chapter 6. And then he starts to unpack uh, the results of that lying. So I want to give you three specific results that Jeremiah gives that comes out of the lying that the leaders and the priests and the prophets were doing uh, and the effect that had on their community and parallel effects that lying among our leaders and our prophets and our priests and pastors is having in our own society, in our own community. And I have one more point at the end. But let's look at this. This is in Jeremiah chapter 8, and this will look and sound familiar if you caught the live stream last Sunday. Starting in verse 8, It says, how can you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie? The wise will be put to shame. They will fear and be caught. Since they have rejected the word of the Lord, what kind of wisdom do they have? From the least to the greatest, they all chase gain. From prophet to priest, all of them work lies. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. All is well, they say. But it is not well at all. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They don't even know how to blush. So here again, the leaders and the priests and the prophets are lying. And there are three specific results that Jeremiah says this is having on the community. And the first is that because the leaders are lying and the priests are lying and the prophets are lying, everyone's lying. The people are modeling the behavior they're seeing exhibited by their leaders. There's a loss of honest speech between neighbors. People are deceiving each other. They're trying to get one over on each other. They're exploiting each other for gain, as we just read. And you can't have a community where people are lying to each other. Uh, You know, dishonest speech will just wreck the fabric of society every time. Uh, We have to be committed to telling the truth all the time on a regular basis. And when lying becomes pervasive, when lying becomes the norm, then the community's in trouble. Jeremiah says it this way in chapter 9. He says, Each of you, beware of your friend. 
Don't trust anyone in your family. For every one of them deals crookedly, and every friend spreads slander. Friend deceives friend, and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongues to lie. They are worn out from wrongdoing. You live in the midst of deception. In their deceit, they refuse to know me, declares the Lord. This sounds a lot like where we've been, uh, especially the last few years, but even longer than that in, in, in some ways, uh, where dishonesty has just become the norm. And what, what God says here is that you're living in the midst of deception, uh, couching your words, not based on what is true, not based on what's in your heart and what you think, but what you think people want to hear, what you think is going to give you an advantage. If you live life doing things that way, you can't know me. That puts you in a state spiritually and mentally where it's impossible to know me because God is truth. And we can't be living with this this habitual lying and know who God is. And not only can we not have a relationship with God, we can't have a relationship with each other. So these things we talk about all the time, about having a healthy relationship with the divine, having a healthy relationship with other people, those can't happen where truth-telling isn't routine. And if you're not telling the truth to God, you're not telling the truth to other people, you're probably not telling the truth to yourself. It becomes impossible to know what reality is. And that's what we've seen uh, in recent days. So this was the situation in ancient Israel, and it's the situation that we're seeing today. Because the leaders were lying, and the religious leaders specifically were lying, Lying had become widespread to the detriment of society. The second result um, builds on that one. Um, the people didn't know how to live. They didn't know how to worship. Um, and I want to just put this up here for you. Look at this. This is in chapter 7. Thus says the Lord of armies, God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your ancestors, or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. And walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey, or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels, and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. Now I've put in bold there the speaking and the voice and the listening because this is what Yahweh told them to do according to Jeremiah. He didn't tell them to make sacrifices and burn offerings. He told them to listen to his voice and to do what he said. Jeremiah is denying here that animal sacrifice was required of ancient Israel. He's saying that that doesn't tell you who God is. You can't understand God's character from animal sacrifice, from burnt offerings. Now, if you've read the first part of the Old Testament, that doesn't sound like what you would read in, say, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. It's a little different. And part of what the church hasn't been honest about, and I alluded to this last week, and we're going to unpack it a little bit right now, is the church has got to become more honest about Scripture, about the complexity of Scripture. Because Jeremiah is saying something quite different that you will read in the books of Moses. 
as I mentioned last week, Jeremiah was aware of the oral traditions that would later become Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers when, when he lived and when he was prophesying and writing. But none of those books existed yet in their final written form. They didn't have those scrolls. Um, you can see in Jeremiah there are nods to both of the creation stories, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Uh, there's, there's a, there are uh, accents or, or echoes of the ancient ancestors, of the Exodus story, of the wilderness wanderings, of the Sinai covenant. You see hints and allusions to all of those things within the prophecies of Jeremiah. But you won't see any quotes from the first four books of Moses because they weren't written yet. They were oral traditions that Jeremiah was familiar with. And he was familiar with some of them because when the northern kingdom fell, like 130 years before this, um, some of their written documents, because they had written documents earlier than the Judahites did, um, they seemed to have migrated their way south and wound up in Jerusalem. It's possible that someone fleeing the Assyrian destruction of, of Samaria may have fled to Jerusalem with some scrolls or something. Um, because we see that start to pick up, and it inspires uh, the Judahites to begin this process themselves. So what you find in the books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, is this multivalent dialogue uh, between traditions. There's tradition of the people who knew God as Yahweh. There's the tradition of the people who knew God as Elohim. Um, there's this tradition of the post-exilic, like post-Babylon priestly writers who are explaining sacrifices and the temple worship practices and all of that. And then you have the Deuteronomists who were the contemporaries of Jeremiah. Deuteronomy is actually the oldest of the five books of Moses in terms of when it was completed. And it was being written at the same time that Jeremiah was giving his prophecies and writing them down because we know Jeremiah wrote his down because one of the kings, we'll see later, uh, burns his scroll and he has to read it. He has to write it over while Baruch, his, uh, his assistant, has to write them down again. And so Jeremiah is in dialogue with all these. He's in dialogue with all the traditions that go into the books of Moses. He's in dialogue with the other prophets. Um, he's in dialogue with Isaiah. He's reading the first Isaiah scroll in dialogue with that. He's reading Hosea from the northern kingdom. And that's a huge influence on how he understands God to be, you know, the jilted lover or the spouse that's been cheated on. Uh, he's, in, he's in dialogue with the royal scribes. He's in dialogue with the court prophets, of course, we're seeing here. He's in dialogue with the songwriters. He's in dialogue with the wisdom writers. All of these traditions are, are, are swirling around. And, and, and the whole Hebrew Bible, and really all of Scripture, is like the book of Job that we studied a couple years ago. It's lots of friends taking turns speaking. And, and then we enter in and listen to that conversation and try to make sense of it. And, and in doing that, we become participants in it as well in that way. Um, and so we have to put all this together. And what Jeremiah says clearly, what I just read to you, uh, agrees with what Isaiah says in chapter 1 of Isaiah. You know, who commanded these sacrifices from you? You know, and, and for years I would say, well, that's, you know, that's a rhetorical question. And, and if you've read the Bible to that point, you'd be like, well, you did, God. You told us to make these sacrifices. But while Isaiah puts it as a question that you can read rhetorically, Jeremiah does not put it in the form of a question. Let me read this to you again. In verse 22, For when I brought them 
out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your ancestors or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. But this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you will be my people. This is what Jeremiah is saying. He's saying it wasn't God who told them to make sacrifices and burnt offerings. It was other people. It was priests. And then we have to ask, well, why would they, why would they write that down? And why would they say that it was a command from God? And those are questions that we have to ask. Those are questions that Jeremiah wants us to be asking, that he's really forcing us to be asking. Let's carry on in chapter 7. In verse 25, he says, From the day that your ancestors came out of the land of Egypt to this day, so he knows about the wilderness journey, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their necks. They did worse than their ancestors. And you will speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You will call to them, but they will not answer you. And you will say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept his correction. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. That's a heavy word. And you can see the emphasis there is like we talked about last week with, with the Shema and Deuteronomy, hero Israel. Listen up, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is the command that Jeremiah says came to Israel. Not a command to make sacrifices, not a command to do a certain form of worship, but a command to listen to the voice of Yahweh and obey what he was telling them to do. Walter Brueggemann helps us with it here. Look at this quote. He says, on the one hand, it is asserted that the God of Israel has never been interested in sacrificial liturgy. Those practices are fundamentally alien to the character of the God of Moses. Such acts are not intrinsically wrong, but they are invariably allied with the dominant values of control and oppression. The practice of such sacrifice tends to serve and legitimate vested social interest and thus takes aim against covenantal obedience. On the other hand, what is commanded and required is the listening, and that is all. That is all that's required. That's all that's commanded. And worship forms come and go, and they may be fine, but they can also be abused. And so often they are. So what is commanded? What should they be expecting to hear if they were to listen and not close their ears and not stiffen their necks? Well, Jeremiah tells us. Look at this. Uh, the beginning of chapter 7, he says, Hear the word. This is great because he, he tells Jeremiah to go stand at the door of the temple and say this word. Um, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Don't trust in lying words that say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I want to pause right there. He's mocking their worship singing. He's mocking their liturgy. So if you've ever seen these like YouTube videos where they do like these spoofs of, of worship courses that say the same seven words over and over again. Jeremiah is doing the same thing right here. He's making fun of them. He's prophetically, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, making fun of them. Uh, there again, I'm going to read it again. Don't trust in lying words that say, 
This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Instead, if you truly make your ways and your acts good, if you do justice to one another, if you don't oppress immigrants, orphans, widows, and don't shed innocent blood in this place, and if you don't chase idols to your own harm, then I will have you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors for all time. But look, you are trusting in lying words that are worthless. And again, he's referring to the worship lyrics that he just made fun of uh, with their with their repetition. And so as the quote from Brueggemann said, uh, the temple worship and the liturgy are being exposed here as tools of social control. Um, their worship was not about connecting to the divine. It was not about transcendence. It was about manipulation. It was just an arena for social manipulation. It was people who had vested power doing what they needed to do to maintain their own power and their own privilege. They were using religion to keep control of people. Have you heard that sort of critique before? Um, and so they were claiming that God had commanded things that God had not commanded. That's what Jeremiah is saying. And it's not just ancient Israel, and it's not just animal sacrifice. The church does the same thing. Um, Eucharist or communion is a, is a is a perfect example of this. I mean, I love taking communion. We're going to take it here in a minute. Uh, it's it's a it's a lovely liturgical practice, uh, but it can also be used for social control. It can also be used to manipulate people. It happens when we over narrate what's going on when we overstate its importance and like how salvation comes to our lives and, and care for our souls and our and our eternal destiny, that's that's a little too much. That's a little too far. Um, it, it can be used for control when we limit who can receive it, uh, when we limit who can give it, when we say only ordained people and in some cases only ordained people means only men can do it, then that's another form of social control. It's another form of hierarchy. Um, I, I've seen I've seen churches um, where like they have the people kneel down in front of the priest and like open their mouths. I mean how dehumanizing is that? What sort of manipulation is that? That's not what God is about. Just like Jeremiah is saying, sacrifices don't tell you anything about the character of God. Kneeling in front of a priest to receive communion doesn't tell you anything about the nature of Jesus. It just doesn't. So one of the accidental blessings of this quarantine time has been how we've been taking communion. You know, um, it moves even further away from any form of control and manipulation. And look, we were really committed before to not doing those things either. But I, I love how we're doing this because, as I say every week, your consecration powers are the same as mine. It is the body and blood of Jesus. I don't have any problem buying that. But it's not that because I say it is. Uh, it doesn't work like that. It's not that kind of magic. It's a different kind of magic. And so I love the fact that you're blessing your own elements and I'm blessing my elements, and we're taking them together as community. That gets us closer to the beauty of the of the liturgy of Eucharist than than these other forms 
that are just fraught with manipulation and fraught with social control and move us far away from the truth and the reality of who God is and who Jesus is and the sacrifice that he made for us. So I'm already imagining what things look like in the aftertime once we gather again. And and, and this experience and, and what we're learning from Jeremiah, they're going to inform our Eucharistic practice going forward. Um, because I, I really appreciate, this is one thing I really appreciate. Because I, I, if you're participating, and I hope you are, it should be driving home to you further the priesthood of all believers, that you are, are a priest, that you can convey grace into your own life and into the lives of other people, because that is central to the gospel. Okay, so animal sacrifices weren't necessarily bad. Jeremiah's not saying that. Communion's not bad. They can be good and they can be beautiful. But God didn't command either one of them. And both can also be used for manipulation and for control when they're built on a foundation of lies instead of a foundation of truth. Um, but now I want to move into like the, the central thing that I feel like I should talk about today. And it's this third result of the lying. The leaders have been lying to Judah the priests have been lying to Judah. The prophets have been lying to Judah. And the ultimate result of this that we see over and over again in chapter 7 through 10 of Jeremiah is death. The leaders lie and the people die. And look, look at these two passages. In Jeremiah 7, starting in verse 32, it says, They will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. Then the carcasses of this people will be food for the birds and wild animals, with none to frighten them away. And then in chapter 9, starting in verse 21, he says, Death has climbed in through our windows and has entered our fortresses. It has taken the children from the streets and the young people from the public squares. Dead bodies will lie like manure on the open field, like sheaves behind the reaper, with none to gather it. The leaders lied and people died. The priests and the prophets lied and people died. And as I mentioned last week, that's also true of now. Um, you know, the church has been lying about science since at least 1925. The Scopes trials, you know, kind of the modern watershed. I mean, I guess we could go back to Galileo or Copernicus, um, but we don't have a good track record with telling the truth. We don't have a good track record um, when it comes to our relationship with science in the church. But it's been especially bad for the last hundred years, especially since Darwin. We've, you know, the church has made Darwin into this boogeyman who's just going to come and turn us all into atheists and take our faith away. Um, and, and more recently, in, in recent years, we've seen this uh, develop as like, you know, you know young earth creationism uh, and then anti-vaccination. Uh, Anti-vaxxers are often uh, fundamentalists or evangelical Christians. And now those folks have become COVID deniers. And, and I know there are anti-vaxxers and COVID deniers who aren't in the church, but I'm talking specifically now about Christians. Um, within the church, we have to be committed to telling the truth. 
and telling all of it. And we don't have a good record with telling the truth. And I'm not even going to get into all the lies surrounding all the sex abuse problems that the church has had over the last many years. But we don't have a good track record of telling the truth. And what Jeremiah is teaching us is that when the leaders lie, people die. When the priests lie, people die. When the prophets lie, people die. And it's exactly what we're seeing right now. Right now. Churches are refusing to stop in-person gatherings. I mean, we, we haven't met in person since last March, right? Early last March is when we shut it down. And we've kept it shut down. And we will keep it shut down until it's safe. And I don't know when exactly that will be or what that will look like. But I'm not going to put people's lives at risk so we can meet in person. That's not what the that's not what Jesus would have us do. That's not the gospel. That's not the kingdom. Um, you have Christians, churches refusing to wear masks, um, refusing to practice social distancing. I, I know you have people um, in your life, family members who are who are Christians, who are going to refuse to ha- get the vaccination. They're just refusing to participate, and it's it's because. We've been living this lie for so many years now. We, you know, this foundation of lies, especially with regard to science. We've put ourselves in this posture where we can't trust anything because we haven't been honest. We haven't been honest about Darwin. We haven't been honest about about psychology. We haven't been honest about about a great many things. And now, what it means is that people are literally dying. Because the church hasn't been telling the truth. What Jeremiah said was true then, and it's true now. When the leaders lie, people die. When the church leaders lie, people die. Yeah, and it's, it's more than just science, right? I mean, the, uh, if you've read recently for, for MLK Day, some of you read Letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, That letter specifically, Dr. King talking about his fellow church leaders who were lying about the civil rights movement. They were church leaders, white church leaders especially, uh, all over this country who lied about the civil rights movement. Um, And that was, you know, uh, building on the lies they told about Jim Crow, right? Before that, you know, leading up to that, uh, the church lied about slavery being the will of God, you know, in 1850 and before that. In 1750, before that, um, the, the church lied to Native Americans pretty much anytime they talked to them, I guess. Um, all of these lies have led to death and to social destruction. I don't know how else to say it. This is heavy, and, and I, look at this picture. These are. COVID morgue trucks. Those are semi refrigerated semi trailers filled with dead bodies. Obviously that's in New York City. But they're all over the country. And so it hits hard reading Jeremiah talk about mass death and about them having more bodies than they could bury and corpses being dishonored uh, when we have COVID morgue trucks all over the country. 
you know, and, and I saw a news report the other day. They talked to a funeral home. I think it was in Los Angeles, and they had piled all the furniture in the corners and up up the walls to make more room for coffins because they had more coffins with bodies in them than they could than they could handle. And they didn't know when they were going to be able to bury them all. This is where we are. We have more dead bodies than we can deal with with our normal processes. This is the taxation on our society that our lies have made. The lies of the church. Because the church in America is still influential enough that we could have shifted this needle if we had been honest from the get-go. If we hadn't been at war with science for all these years. And it's just, it's so heavy. It's so heavy that the truth is right there in our scriptures, right in front of our face. And we just ignore it. And we ignore it so that we can maintain status quo. So that we can maintain power and privilege. So the leaders are lying. And that leads to... A general atmosphere where everyone's lying, where you live in deceit. You live in a culture of deceit, God tells Jeremiah to say. And then people don't know how to live. They don't know how to worship. They don't know what God expects of them. They think God expects them to sing repetitive choruses and, and barbecue animals. And God's like, I just, can you do justice? Can you take care of immigrants and orphans and widows and poor people and not exploit people and not do people harm? And ultimately, the lies lead to death. And the last point I want to make this morning um, is that what we see in this passage is God calling people to lament. It's a summons to lamentation. Look at this. In chapter 8, verse 18, it says, I catch my breath from sorrow. My heart aches within me. Chapter 9 says, Would that my head were water, and my eye a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my people. I weep and wail over the mountains, and lament over wilderness grasslands, for they are laid waste and deserted, and the lowing of cattle is not heard. The birds have all fled, and the animals are gone. Call for the keening women to come. Send for wise women. Let them hurry and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. Jeremiah is calling the people to lament. But he's doing more than that. And if you go back and read these passages carefully, go back and read them and ask yourself this. Who's mourning? Here, who's crying? Is this Jeremiah or is this Yahweh? And in most of these verses, it's really hard to tell. And it's because of what I was telling you last week. What a prophet does is not tell the future. That's not prophecy. What the prophet does is tell you how God is feeling and what God thinks and where God's compassion is and where God's passion and feeling is. And so I'm going to put this back up here. This is how God feels. This is God talking. 
God says to Judah, I catch my breath from sorrow and my heart within me aches. This is Yahweh talking. And he says, would that my head were water and my eye a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of my people. I weep and wail over the mountains and lament over the wilderness grasslands, for they are laid waste and deserted, and the lowing of cattle is not heard. The birds have all fled and the animals are gone. Call for the keening women to come. Send for wise women. Let them hurry and wail over us till our eyes overflow with tears and water streams from our eyelids. God is the mourner here. He is mourning over his people. Yahweh feels like a spouse whose partner has had an affair and is just devastated from the betrayal. Yahweh feels like a parent whose child has died and has to bury their own baby. That's how God feels. Jeremiah feels this way because God feels this way. This is divine grief. It's real and it's deep because this is how God loves. And what I'm telling you is that when God looks down and sees semi-trucks full of dead bodies, this is how God feels. God mourns. And God calls us to mourn. But do we even know how to lament? The keening women. These were women who were who were professional mourners who were like like you would call in for hospice or you would call in for for you know a mortician or a funeral home these are people that helped you walk through grief do we have that in the church do we have that ability to tell the truth i'm not sure we do i know hospice haven has that yeah but does the church have that? When God cries over the mountains and over the grasslands, have we mourned the, the BP spill in the Gulf? Are we mourning now when Nestle's trying to take over our springs and devastate our waters? Are, are we mourning the catastrophic loss of life from COVID? I mean, I'm reluctant to even quote a number here because between the time I record this and the time you watch it, which is not as long as all that, it will be, I'll be out of date. It's well over 400,000 people in this country that have died of COVID. I've had several friends this week lose a loved one. Two vineyard pastors lost their dad this week to COVID. I had so many friends of the people close to them very recently. And of course, it's ramping up. And President Biden says we're probably going to have 500,000 people dead from COVID by the end of February. Are we mourning? Are, are we lamenting? I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm at a loss for words. And are we lamenting specifically? How the American church has told and lived out lies that have contributed to this catastrophic death toll. Can we look in the mirror and say, yeah, 
we bear responsibility for this. There is blood on our hands. We either haven't spoken the truth in terms of deliberately lying, or we've just bit our tongue and not said enough. We've kept silent, and silence is compliance. So, in Judah, the leaders lied, people died. The prophets and the priests lied, and people died. It's the same thing here. It's the same now. And I don't know who will teach us to mourn. And I don't know who will teach us to lament. But that's what I hear God calling us to in this text. He's summoning us to join him in mourning. And that's my message for today. If you have your elements, let's take communion. This is not a reenactment of a sacrifice. This has zero to do with social control. There is no manipulation here if we're doing it in a truthful and honest way. So that's what I want us to say. Take whatever it is you have to eat. I have got a bit of homemade gluten-free focaccia bread because Amy loves me. This bread is not about manipulation. It's about truth. The truth is, Jesus came to show us who Yahweh is. Through his life and his love and his ministry, and his commitment to nonviolence all the way to letting himself be executed unjustly, arising from the dead. There's a better salvation story than the one that most of us grew up with. But for today, let's say this. Jesus' body is truth. And we participate in his truth by taking in his body and by committing ourselves to being truth tellers. This is the bread of truth. This is the cup of freedom. Jesus' blood doesn't bring us into manipulation. We were not brought out of slavery to go into a different kind of slavery. Truth sets us free. Free to listen and do what the Spirit tells us to do on a personal level and on a communal level. So raise your glass to freedom and drink the cup of freedom. My prayer is that the truth that leads us to freedom will set us free to grieve well, to lament, to lift up our voices, to lift up our prayers and our cries for those who have lost their lives, for those who have lost their loved ones, for those who are still battling and trying to recover from this horrible, 
horrible sickness. We have to tell and practice the truth. We got to wear masks. We got to social distance. We got to take the vaccine. We got to not meet in person until it's safe. All of those things. These are not us just being overly precautious. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to listen to the voice of the Spirit and do what God's telling us to do. Let's pray. But my heart is heavy, heavy with friends who have lost parents and loved ones, heavy with folks who won't participate in keeping each other and themselves safe, people who have bought into lies that church leaders have told them and are silently acquiesced to. Lord, we mourn, we grieve. And you said, blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. I ask you by your spirit to help us mourn and to comfort us and to help us be the comfort to those who mourn. I pray we would sit with the lamentations that Jeremiah gives us, that we would learn from him, that you would send us keening women who can lead us in grieving well that you would shed us completely of deceit, of lies. The ones we tell, the ones we bite our tongue at, would drive them out from us. Help us to have the courage and the faith in you to face all the truth. The truth about reality, the truth about science, the truth about your scriptures, the truth about your nature, the truth of all of it. Set us free from all forms of manipulation, especially religious manipulation. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Set us on a path of truth and justice that we may live in the land where we pray for a return of truth-telling as a normal practice. We pray that you would help us become people who don't lie to each other, but tell the truth and tell all of it. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the truth and that you lead us into all truth when we follow you and we follow you into freedom. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Gainesville Vineyard Podcast. For more information about our church and community center, including our food pantry, life skills training, legal aid, after school and sports programs, and international missions, and how to contact us, visit GainesvilleVineyard.org or find us on Facebook. Our page name is GN Vineyard. We also have original worship songs available on iTunes. Just search for Gainesville Vineyard. You can support the work we're doing by texting the word GIVE to 352-562-7771. All donations are tax deductible. We appreciate you listening to this message and pray the Spirit speaks directly to you through something you've heard today. God bless.